By faith Noah, being warned of God, by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one, and therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And then our text this morning. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons, of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover sprinkled and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me, to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. 
Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, then let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the, joy, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We, um, we ask, Lord, now again for hearts to receive it. You intend this word to transform us as our minds are renewed with your truth and, and grace. And so we ask, oh God, that today you would do your beautiful work. And uh, we expect, oh God, your great blessing through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. I read a, a fascinating article this week um, posted by Rod Dreher. It was a letter that he had received written to him by a, a, a man in his 30s, uh, written from some um, college town somewhere in the Midwest. And this man was... was um, just expressing to Dreher his sense that, that the world has to be more than just material things. He's longing for an enchanted world, and he has a sense that there must be a God, and he desperately wants, wanted to believe in God, but, but uh, found that he could not. He writes this, he says, I want so badly to believe in the truths of Christianity but I can't bring myself to do it. I wish I could believe that Adam and Eve existed and that Moses parted the sea and Noah sailed an ark, that Jesus rode a donkey into town, that the skies darkened as his soul ascended, that the Lord will come again to judge the living and the dead, but I can't. Oh, I try. You don't go to Mass for years and hit the knees in prayer every morning if you, if you aren't actually trying. I want so badly to be devout. I would give anything to be a Catholic who knew where he was going, who accepted God's plans for him. It kills me that I cannot. And there's much more in the letter. It's called Searching for Ithaca, if you want to uh, look that up. It's a, it's a, it's a very frank, honest uh, letter where the man just acknowledges the tragedy of his, of his unbelief. Now, I would love to meet with this man. I'd, I'd love to ask him if, if he's just examined the evidence for the Christian faith. It, it is a marvelously historically rooted faith where you can, you can go and do the research, and those who do find that the evidence is overwhelming and, and, and demands a response. But, but whether he has done that or not, I just found that I identify with that longing for faith, because isn't it true that even if you are a Christian this morning, don't you wish you had greater faith? Or maybe this morning you're not a Christian and, and uh, you're, you wish you were, you wish you could have uh, this confidence in the things that the Bible says, that, that it's all true. But even if, you, if you've come to faith, don't you wish you had 
greater faith? I mean, don't you wish you had the kind of faith that would make you confident in the face of opposition, that would make you courageous in the face of death, that would actually give you joy and peace in believing, abounding joy? A peace that, that was able to guard your heart and your mind? A peace that surpasses understanding? Is that, what, is, is, is that how you experience the Christian life? Don't we believe that that's available? Doesn't Scripture suggest and, and promise that it is? So as I look at, at my Christian life, and I'm, I'm sure as you examine yours, I think we would all say, Lord, I, I want to grow in, in faith. I want to have that sort of, of faith. Well, the, the 11th chapter of this, of this letter to the Hebrews is written to encourage us and teach us that kind of faith. Uh, remember, it's being written to people who need it. Life is difficult. They're struggling in the face of persecution. They've lost so much. They've lost family and friends and possessions and homes. And it's, it, cynicism has begun to set in. They're weary. They're tempted to give up some of them and to go back. And, and Hebrews 11, the, the writer is, you see, marshalling this, this host of witnesses. He's, he's marshalling all these saints of old to speak with one voice. He wants this to be an avalanche of testimony to these struggling believers, these struggling Christians. So that, that through this crowd of witnesses... Uh, these people can be encouraged that, that they're not walking this road alone. They're walking it in, in the steps of those who've gone before and that Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and, and, and David and Jephthah and Samson and Gideon, they're all speaking. Hold on to your confidence. Don't throw it away. There is a reward. Live by faith. And that's the message then of the chapter as a whole. And so we'll look this morning at the things that faith gives, the fruit of faith in that sense. And we'll look at first the confidence of faith and the courage of faith and the, the conquest of faith and finally the consolation of faith. Uh, these are things that faith and faith alone uh, gives. We could add another one, the commendation of faith, but we've dealt with that prior. But remember, uh, throughout the, the chapter here, uh, the writer keeps reminding them uh, so-and-so was commended. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God, but God delights and commends those who believe. Well, let's begin the confidence of faith, living by the promises of God. And in verses 17 through 22, if you have your Bible open, you have there the story of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. You can read their stories in the book of Genesis. I encourage you maybe to just take that up again. There are many things, obviously, the writer could have told us about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. There's all sorts of stories, fascinating uh, stories of, of their pilgrim journey. But he focuses on the confidence that they had as they lived by faith, specifically in the presence of death. 
And so he speaks of Abraham facing death, the death of his son. He speaks of Isaac when he thought he was going to die, blessing his sons. He tells us about Jacob, who uh, when dying, blessed Joseph's sons and Joseph uh, at the end of his life. And so these are men, and he wants us to see their faith in the presence of death as they held to their confidence in the promises of God. Of these four men, the voice of Abraham, Father Abraham, is clearly the, the loudest, the most, um, the most clear and, and penetrating as he reminds us, the writer does, of that incredible event recorded in Genesis 22 where God tested Abraham by commanding him to sacrifice the son of promise, Isaac, the child of laughter. This is an incredible event in um, redemptive history. Uh, that, that command of God both touches a parent's deepest fear, concern for their children, but it challenges deeply what we assume to be true about God. That God would never ask um, such, a, such an awful thing. The God we meet in Scripture is often a God that will challenge our assumptions. Well, Think about what this would have meant for Abraham as God says to Abraham, I want you to go to a mountain and, and I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, whom you dearly love. That's exactly how God said it. Now Abraham had another child by uh, Hagar, Ishmael, and certainly Abraham loved Ishmael, but not like he loved Isaac. Isaac was the miracle baby in every sense of the word. Isaac was the one that God had specifically promised. And Isaac appeared from Sarah's womb, that dead, barren womb. <coughs> and so um, this, was, this was the fruit of all those years of waiting. This was the son whom Abraham dearly loved. And now God says, take that son. And it's not a fable. It's not a, just a mythical story. Take your child, your son, most likely a teenager at this point, and, and take him and sacrifice him. And this would be a challenge, not just because Abraham loves Isaac, but, but because Abraham has trusted God, and this command seems to violate what God had said. You see, if there's, if there's one thing that Abraham had learned slowly, as most of us, but he had learned that God always keeps his word. And now it seems as though God is violating that word, you see, because God hadn't just promised Abraham and Sarah a son. He had specifically promised descendants through that son, descendants as many as the sand on the seashore. Isaac doesn't matter just because he's a lovely young boy. He matters because he is the path to the promised blessing of a multitude of descendants. And the writer specifically notes this in Hebrews chapter 11. He highlights that specific promise. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, verse 18, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And so you see when Abraham raises that knife, he's not just raising a knife to slay his son, but to slay all that, the, the offspring that would be named through Isaac. And so how does he do it? Well, you, you know the answer. He does it by this magnificent act of simple faith. Abraham 
is thinking as he's climbing up that mountain. And he's considering the promises that God had given to him, specifically about Isaac. And you see, it's precisely the fact that this child was a product of promise. And that God himself had made specific promises about Isaac that gave Abraham the confidence to do this incredibly difficult thing. We're told in verse 19, Abraham considered that God was able, was able even to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Remember the question that, that Isaac asks as they're making their way up and they're carrying the wood and, and, and all the materials necessary. And Isaac says, Father, where's the, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? <laughs> what a devastating question. And Abraham, remember how he responded? Abraham said, the Lord will provide. And yet here we're told in verse 19 that Abraham's also considering even if God does not provide and, and Isaac actually becomes the sacrifice, well, then God is able to raise him from the dead. You see, he, he lives confident in the promise. It's all he had. He doesn't know why God is asking him to do this. In a sense, he doesn't need to know why. He doesn't ask why. Nowhere in the story do you, do you, do you have Abraham asking the Lord why. He would do this in other times when God comes and says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. Abraham enters into a lengthy conversation with God. Would you do that even if there were 45 or how about 40 or 35 and works all the way down? Abraham is willing to have those conversations with God. He doesn't hear. He believes. What he knows, you see, is sufficient. God had promised him offspring through Isaac, and that promise would stand. God would not violate his promise. Even if he has to raise Isaac from the dead, death is no obstacle to the faithfulness of God. It's no obstacle to the plans and purposes and promises of God. Death itself has to yield to the sovereign purpose and promise of God. Nothing is more certain in all the world, you see, in all the universe, than the sovereign plans and purposes and promises of God. Everything else is missed compared to it. We have a hard time believing that. We think that our circumstances, our weaknesses, our failures, our challenges and trials, our pain, we see those things so like they're rock-solid, steadfast, immovable, defining characteristics of our life. Well, they're real and they are painful, but none of them are an obstacle to the plans and purposes and promises of God. Couldn't possibly be. Not even death. And so you see, it's, it's that confidence that Abraham has as he, as he raises the knife. And that's the confidence that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all, uh, that Isaac and Jacob and Joseph all have the same in the face of death. So as Isaac thinks he's about to die, he blesses Jacob and Esau. And, and Jacob, when dying, and Joseph at the end of his life, you see, that they're all looking forward and the, the steadfast, immovable rock of their, uh, on which their confidence is based is God has made a promise. 
And so they make bless, they bless their, their children concerning what is yet to come, the land that is going to be theirs, the nation that God is going to build there. And even Joseph, now in Egypt, <clears throat> is, dies and is buried in splendor. I mean, he's a big deal in Egypt. And yet he says uh, to his, his children, when, when, when the Lord takes us now to the land that he's promised to give us, when the exodus happens, take my bones, don't leave me here. I wanted to have that part of God's promise in, uh, and, and be buried in the land uh, that, is, uh, that is our home. Death, you see, is no barrier. It's a great reminder to us and to this New Testament church. Uh, death feels like such a an end, and a loss, and in, in so many ways it is, but it's never the end of God's promises. It's been made God's servant. It's never a loss to those that he loves. It's their entrance into glory. It's not a barrier to those who believe. And you see, if death is not a barrier, well, then what else would be? If death itself, which is the, the, God's curse on this world because of sin, if, if the if, if death isn't a barrier, well then, what else could possibly be an obstacle to God's sovereign plan and purpose for your life? In fact, Peter will say that we have everything we need for life and godliness through the great and precious promises that God has given to us. Because the promises are ultimate reality. The promises stand all the time, every day, in every trial, every circumstance. The one immovable truth, the one, the one absolutely unremovable thing will be the promise of God. What has he promised to you? I will never leave you or forsake you. I know what I'm about. I work all things for your eternal good. Those are promises that stand. That's the confidence of faith. And that confidence gives courage. Verses 23 through, 20, 23 through 28, the author uh, specifically mentions Moses and his parents and the fact that they were not afraid. You'll see that in verse 23 and 27. And so his parents were not afraid of the king's edict. Here's this, this common, ordinary couple, uh, Amram and Jochebed, uh, the parents of Moses. They're, we don't know much about them at all, except that God had blessed them with a little baby, and he was a beautiful baby. And, and he, but he was born in Egypt, and Pharaoh had pronounced an edict that all male children uh, that were born to the Israelis would be thrown into the Nile River. And the consequence, of course, of disobedience would be death. And here's this couple that has a baby and says, well, forget Pharaoh. We're not doing it. This is a child, this is a, a, a gift of God. He's a beautiful baby, and, and we trust the Lord our God. And so they were not afraid of the king's edict. They put him in a little basket and, and, and pushed him into the river, put him into the hands of their God in his own little ark. And you know the story if you've read, uh, if you read it or maybe remember it from a long time ago, but th that little baby in that little ark floats down, and guess who shows up by the river bank? It's Pharaoh's own daughter, and... And uh, she sees this little basket and brings it, and there's this beautiful baby. And she says, what a, a marvelous little baby. We need to find someone to care for it. And, uh, and Miriam, old, Moses' older sister, is there. And she says, I know somebody. And, uh, and uh, so Amram and Jochebed end up being paid to raise Moses, who's going to be the future leader of God's people and bring them out of Egypt. The hand of God is so beautiful. Well, they're not afraid of the king's edict. And Moses then has that same courage 
And he's, you know Moses, he's, he's not a perfect man. But he chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now that takes courage. Who chooses mistreatment? Chooses it. We hate mistreatment. Some of us have, have really bad memories of schoolyard bullies or abusive parents. Uh, maybe this week you've experienced some mistreatment. We don't like it. We re reject it. Moses chooses it. When he had the world at his fingertips, right? It's all his for the taking. He's raised in Pharaoh's household. He gets a life you and I will never imagine. And he chooses mistreatment. And you see, that's just crazy stuff. What makes a man do that? Well, the answer is, well, he, he thought that the reproach of Christ was greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking for a reward. He looks at all that Egypt has to offer, and, and then he looks at the living God and what God had promised. And it just, it just wasn't, a, it wasn't a problem. It wasn't a comparison. It wasn't a loss. You can have this whole world, right? Just give me Jesus. He saw with faith the reward that God himself had promised. And, and so by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Pharaoh threatened and, and, and stamped and stomped and, and, and warned. And uh, he was a very scary man, most powerful man in the world. He could do, right, humanly speaking, awful things to you. Yet Moses... Moses led the people out not being afraid of Pharaoh's anger because Moses saw the reality of God. He, he saw him who is invisible. Just think of the difference that could make in your life if we lived each day seeing him who is invisible and knowing that every day we are immortal until God uh, decides our job here is done and then we, are, we enter into immortality that will never, ever fade. And so... You, you see, this is, this is the courage that this New Testament church needs because they are being persecuted. And it's the courage that we need, as, particularly um, as we speak of Christ in an increasingly hostile culture. And it's a courage that can't be whipped up or manufactured. You, you can't just tell yourself, well, gird up your loins, come on. Play the part. You can do this. No, you, no, you can't do this. The only way this courage happens is when we actually see, by faith, the unseen things. We see, by faith, the reality, the overwhelming, glorious reality of God and, and the reality of the gospel and the glory of the church of Jesus Christ, though she is despised. And we see the reality of what God has promised and the reality of a reward that lies ahead of us, a, a reward that nothing can take away and that nothing in this world is worth having compared to that. So Paul will even say that the, these trials and tribulations cannot be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. You see, when the, when the truths of the things of God and the things that God has promised, when those things are real and seen, it changes your life. It changes what you plan for, what you hope for, what you spend your time and money on. It changes the way you do relationships. It has to. It can't help but if those things are real to you. By faith, you see, as we embrace the reality of unseen things, we become transformed. 
And that gives us, by faith, the victory. Verses 29 through 38. This is amazing verses here. Faith conquers. Faith, by faith, the Israelites, this slave nation defeats the military power of the day, Pharaoh and his army. Verse 29. By faith, they walk through the water and, and Pharaoh's army is drowned. And then he goes on, by, by faith, um, the walls of Jericho fell. This, this impregnable city collapses by faith. And by faith, one of the, the inhabitants, Rahab the prostitute, is delivered by faith. She conquers because she aligned herself with the people of God. And what more shall I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, Stop the mouths of lions. Boys and girls, who does that remind you of? Daniel in the den, right? Quench the power of fire. Who does that remind you of? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not afraid of the king. Who escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness. Think of Samson, a weakened man because of his sin. And yet, as he stood there bound to those pillars in that pagan temple, prayed, oh God, by your grace, let me strike a blow for the glory of God and for the people of God. And God gave him strength. And he accomplished more in his death than he ever had in his life. By faith became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. The writer's just, just nailing these one after the other after the other. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. When God's people stand in faith and move forward in faith and walk by faith, live by faith and die in faith, they gain the victory even when it looks like they've lost. And he, he, notice he wraps up this hall of faith with unnamed saints who to all appearances look like they've lost. So, so these are people who were tortured and mocked and flogged and imprisoned and stoned and sawed in two and killed with the sword and destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Uh, the world despised them. And to all human appearances, the world destroyed them. And the writer says the world wasn't worthy of them. By their faith, they condemned the world. By the faith, they, they conquered. You see, there's a, there's a conquering glory and a, a beautiful honor that belongs to God's suffering saints. There's a greatness and a grandeur to God's nameless people who suffer in faith. Who suffer abuse and mistreatment and scorn and who suffer the effects of a broken world and yet in faith stand. When I, when I meet with someone who is just in a, in, a, in a time of great trial, of great suffering, and they stand in faith and hold on to God, I, I just know I'm in the presence of greatness. I'm in the presence of glory, a glory that mocks and shames and condemns all the, all the fleeting strength of this world. You can take, you can take all, the, all the strong and beautiful people, right? Take your movie stars and, and your TV analysts and your sports heroes and your musicians and billionaire CEOs, all the strength of this world, and they cannot be compared 
to the beauty and the honor and the strength of God's suffering people as they stand in faith and by faith conquer. Paul will say in Romans chapter 8 that we are led like sheep to be slaughtered and yet we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What can separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ? You see, friends, that's our consolation. All this is running and pointing us, bringing us to Jesus Christ. Notice the writer, verses 39 and 40. He says that by faith, we belong to this great throng and we have something better that they were looking forward to. Verse 39, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had promised something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Do you ever think, as you, as you read the stories of the Old Testament, do you ever think, man, I wish I had a faith like that. I wish I, wish I could be like them. I'd love to be a Gideon, a Daniel, to have that sort of courage. I wish I could be like them. Well, do you know what this text says? The Old Testament saints were thinking, as they looked to the future, they were saying, I wish I could be like you. I wish I could see what you see. They were, they were, they were stretching, the, the Bible says, looking, longing, trying to figure out what the Spirit in them was pointing to when he was talking about Christ. They knew it was there. They, they just couldn't make it all out. There's a something better you see, and the writer just lays it right on the table, that here, here we are, New Testament Christians, and if the saints of old could die in faith and, and, and live in that confidence and courage, waiting for the fulfillment of the promises of God, namely Jesus, then how much more you and I who now live having received the revelation of Christ? Because the fulfillment, you see, of all the promises has come in Jesus. He is the great promised Isaac, the child miraculously born and raised literally from the dead. He is the promised land where we find all the riches of God's blessing and the glory of God's presence. He's the victor. The one who has conquered and accomplished God's purposes in history. It's, it, it's all been revealed. And Calvin will say, if those on whom the great light of grace had not yet shone showed such surpassing endurance in bearing their ill, what effect ought the full glory of the gospel to have on us? A tiny spark of light led them to heaven, but now that the sun of righteousness shines on us, what excuse shall we offer if we still cling to the earth? You see, the writer is not afraid to challenge us. If these saints of old were able to live and die in faith, not having yet seen the fulfillment, how much more? Shall we be able to live and die in faith now that we have seen him? And so the writer will say, now therefore lay aside everything, the sin that so easily clings to you and, and run with perseverance looking unto Jesus, who is our Isaac, who is our, our promised land, who is the firstborn from the dead, the, the victor, you see, over death itself for you, for me. Friends, it's... It's to us to receive this. There's a, just in verse 13, I'll wrap with this. Notice in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them. So they saw with faith, 
But notice they didn't just see it. They embraced it. That's the, greeted them means they embraced it. They took it to themselves, these promises of God, and, and they confessed that they were strangers and aliens uh, in the world. They were not afraid of that, of that status in the world because they embraced the truth of who they were, what they were in the eyes of God. You never live by faith until you embrace it, until you receive it for you. It'll just be a story an idea, vague truths that you might nod to, you might assent to intellectually, but you'll never take the, the comfort, you'll never take the courage, you'll never, you'll never get the confidence until you personally and individually say, yes, Lord, this is what I believe. And so my question to you this morning is, do you? And will you? And as you walk this pilgrim road, will you do that day after day after day? This, Lord, is what I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who gave his life for me and for my sin. I believe and receive that to myself. And I believe that in Jesus Christ, God has promised to be a father who will never leave me, never forsake me. And I, I receive that to myself. And I believe that the Holy Spirit has been poured out to give me everything I need today to live in grace. Everything I need today to live in love. Everything I need today to be a blessing to those that God's put in my life, I take and I receive that to myself. And because all of these things are true and all the promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, then today I can live in confidence. And today I can live with courage. Today I can live with courage. Today I can have the comfort, the consolation, knowing that I belong to this precious band, this company of witnesses, and I belong to Jesus. And nothing can keep me from my inheritance. Friend, take it, receive it, live, stand in faith. There's a great song that I, most of you maybe don't know. It's called By Faith, the Hope Herald's uh, men's chorus, my brother directs. They sing this song. You might just want to look it up online. I do, and I almost always cry because of the beauty of the truth. And it goes like this, by faith, God's people stand. By faith they understand that God has given them a city never seen by mortal eye nor born of any human plan conceived in the Creator's mind and fashioned by His hand. By faith God's people stood. By faith they understood that knowing God was greater treasure than a king could ever give or persecution ever take away. And being faithful unto death, they wear a crown today. By faith, God's saints will stand as countless as the sand and stars and round the throne will gather singing praises to the Lord their God and endless praises to the Son whose faith they kept, whose fight they fought, and victory they won. Friends, that's what God has for you and for me by faith. Amen. God in heaven, you've given us the testimony of these saints of old so that we might be challenged and encouraged today. You've given it, Lord, very intentionally for our ears and our hearing, for our journey. Father, it is easy to stand in the midst of glory and, and because of cynicism or apathy or unbelief simply miss 
all the wonder of, of who you are and what you promised and what you've done. But, oh, God, do not let that happen to us today. Lord, we, we ask that you would give us the grace to receive, to embrace these truths, that these become the things that we are convinced of. That death itself is no obstacle to the glory, the promises of God. And that our loved ones who've died in Christ are today gathered with that band of witnesses in the presence of Jesus Christ. And one day soon we shall be with them if we stand today in faith. Oh, God, we do believe. Forgive our unbelief. Help us, oh God, to grow. But I, I, Lord, I pray that your spirit would give us a conviction about these things that transforms our life, that brings peace where there is anxiety and fear, that gives courage, Lord, where, where we tremble and are afraid, that gives consolation when we grieve, and Lord, that gives us the victory here in part, one day in all of its fullness as we trust in Christ. We pray these things, Lord God, because you are the God who saves and saves to the uttermost. And, and Lord, as we believe, we are pleasing to you and you commend us. What a thought. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.